Hello, um, it is a, another episode of Taking the Stand. Yes, it is a Thursday evening at six o'clock when you're watching this. Uh, it is not Thursday evening, six o'clock when we're recording this, but um, you know, those sort of logistics do not undermine the fact that a stand is worth taking. And as a colleague of mine pointed out the other day, when we say taking the stand, we don't mean like the January 6th uh, rioters on Capitol Hill to actually, you know, go to the speaker's podium and take the stand. No, here, taking the stand is not about trying to pretend elections were either stolen or not stolen or won or lost. Here it is about freedom and justice um, and how we as ordinary people can use the law, can use the concept of justice to advance freedom. And as ever, uh, well, not as ever, as we have been recently privileged to be, we are joined by Saragon from uh, Edonti, a brilliant new initiative um, that, that essentially, Edonti stands for Educate, Don't Indoctrinate. And this series of Taking the Stand, these few episodes really are, are a bit of a collab between Fan and Edonti tackling the idea of social justice versus justice, justice and social justice. What are they or why are they? And last week we looked at these definitional ideas. What is justice? What is social justice? And I think this week we can chat a bit about why we are chatting about what we're chatting about. Because it's, it, it, it might be, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes, especially in South Africa's mainstream media, we get this idea, anyone raising uh, uh, any opposition to any social justice type argument immediately gets either one of two treatments. Either they are dismissed as a racist or they are dismissed as a fantasist. Someone who essentially looks at the American culture wars, looks at what's going on in, in you know, European or, or Anglicanized countries, and then importing these grievances into South Africa unjustly. So I thought it would be a good question to ask you, Sarah. We're talking about justice and social justice. I can understand why we're talking about justice. We're in a country that has a history of injustice and a present of persisting injustice. But why are we talking about social justice? Are we the dog whistlers, the mega hat wearing monocles uh, and morons who just think, you know, those overseas culture wars, let's import them here into a country where social justice really isn't a thing? Our, our audience can determine that. But essentially, social justice is different from justice in the sense that justice is pertains to how the law is applied to the society and a result may be just but may not be fair to all parties and not ostensibly fair or may not be subjectively fair social justice is basically described as justice as fairness and justice is not primarily about fairness what they're looking at is saying there are huge inequalities in the society, social, economic, political, and judicial, and those, those uh, inequalities must be reduced. So in other words, instead of whereas we would take the view that what you need to do, what the government needs to do for society is to educate well at, the mo at basic education level, to give 
as many people as possible the chance to get on to a, la a ladder of success. Um, social justice says it's not the ladder that's the issue, it's the result that's the issue. In other words, equality of result. Now, we take the view that that's un unobtainable, A, because anyone who lives in, in the real world, I think, would understand that life isn't always fair. It's not, it, it cannot always be um, obtained according to formulae. Um, taking from the rich to give to the poor may be desirable, but it's not sustainable. It, 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 is, it does not provide that underpinning. And it is that difference between wanting to achieve a result from a social justice point of view and saying, give the underpinning and then it's and, and then give the people the chance to res, to achieve results that are commensurate with a combination of skill, knowledge, and hard work. And I think that the main difference is that the one is, to me, social justice is a pipe dream, unless you impose it from above in which you've got socialist Marxist uh, society and government. Um, or you do the best possible to give people the best opportunity. And we are not equal. We are just so different. Um, mm -hmm. that we are, we, we, Societies can never achieve absolute parity, but successful liberal societies can certainly narrow the gap, as, as most of the uh, um, liberal societies of America and Europe would attest to. And I think the reason why what you're saying now is so directly applicable to South Africa is we have a, a, a relatively, not completely unique, but a relatively unique perspective on, on history, where South Africa's 20th century history is defined by, by an identifiable injustice that was based on social engineering and trying to manipulate the very essence of what it means to be a human being to say that you know you can't determine where you belong what you want in life if you're black the government will prescribe what you want if you're white the government will prescribe what you want if you're purple the government will prescribe what you want and if you're green you're probably just a cabinet minister so the thing here is that social justice is, is this notion of trying to tick every variable lever into a position where everyone's look just the same. And that's just unobtainable. And in South Africa, the unobtainability of that is both made clear by our history of clear social injustice, but also that same historical, you know, cluster copulation is what makes the idea so attractive because I think a lot of people think because the evil of apartheid is so easy to identify in broad terms, that means a social justice reversion of that that would be the perfect inversion. So just take apartheid, do the opposite of what it did along the race line. If it was white, then it should be black now. If it was this, then it should be that now. Um, and, and then just keeping the corruption of the social engineering in place where, and, and I think this, this point that you make about the unobtainability of equality is so good. I think it was Jared Diamond who pointed out, or might've been Thomas Sowell, I can't remember, that pointed out that, in Europe, countries with south-flowing rivers are wealthier than countries with north-flowing rivers because your south-flowing rivers takes you into the rich water basin of the Mediterranean Sea that you can then use for commerce 
throughout Europe and the north of Africa, where North Flame Rivers takes you to where, you know, you have ice and polar bears who don't want to trade. They mostly want to eat you. So um, very much like the EFF. But in, in a way, I, I, I do think that it is applicable to South Africa, and we've seen it here over the last 10 years. So perhaps looking at incidents over the last decade, I remember a few years ago when Girls High here in Pretoria had a bit of a protest around hairstyles. And while there was some merit, I think, in thinking, right, it's just a fact of life that Tresemme unfortunately found out the hard way, that the hair of whitish people and the hair of blackish people and the hair of Indian people, it, it's different hair. I mean, I, I, I wish I could grow an Afro, but I can't. Um, and the reality is that sometimes a one-size-fits-all superficial expectation is dumb and is a remnant of, of a bygone era. But that sort of bled into something more sinister, something more, there's a fundamental evil here and it must be uprooted branch and stem and seed and everything. And that thing is Western civilization. Now, looking at that, where have we come since those first trickling stones of this avalanche of social justice in South Africa? Well, essentially, um, what we've tended to do is, in, in as, as we often have, imported theories from America in particular, and social justice and uh, critical race theory are two of them, that are formulated, although they're formulated, we're formulated within, very much within the um, American context. And it matters that there the, the victim party that is, that, or the, the yeah, the victim parties that are leading the charge are minorities, literally minorities. Here, your alleged oppressor is a, is a minority. You're oppre oppressed a majority. Now, the thing is, is it, what it essentially amounts to is, 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 is a way of saying, well, we were hurt and damaged by apartheid. So all we'll do is turn it around on others, not change it, but turn it around so that you apply a sort of apartheid in reverse. Now, the fact that the most iniquitous thing about apartheid it was that you had this entire social engineering um, phenomenon, but it was underpinned by law. And it was the underpinning by law that made it particularly egregious. Um, because you created the impression that, that everything had a justifiable basis on, on, on in terms of a system that, you know, is, you know, to, to one extent or another, exists in all societies. And so essentially you don't meet a, a apartheid with a, a form of reverse apartheid. You, you change the system entirely. And changing the system entirely meant better, not worse education um, and training. And, and, and all of those things are crucially important because there are no quick fixes. I mean, to some extent we see it with BEE. Um, the whole idea behind BEE is that you give preference to, to, to potential black employees over white employees because of the past. Now, the problem is that numerically, the, the number of whites is shrinking. So that numerical equation is starting to be, well, it was never a good one, but it, it's starting to become meaningless. But also, it also implies, and it's very tempting, and this is part of what we've suffered from, is you put people in 
irrespective merit is not the first issue you look at you look at skin color the problem of course when you when you don't put merit first is that the very people that that, that those people are trying to serve whether it's in public or the private sector may not necessarily have the necessary skills or training or experience to deliver and thereby uplift it, the people from the people who are really poor and need to be put at a better you know put put at a better start, standing start to try and achieve it also it also aims entirely at the group it has no regard for the individual and individual difference and i think we work from the premise essentially that the we're always working in a system of the, it's the best that we can do given a range of complex circumstances including which the nature of the particular individual but you don't want to you, you know you want to make the possibility of success as as great as possible and without good education you are going to keep that that in an equal gap that inequality is going to at best remain and as we've seen at worst it'll it'll widen i i think that's part of why edonti is such an important initiative because if we want a meritorious society somewhere merit needs to be taught and learned and imbibed and you from the interaction that you've been having with parents and with some schools it seems to be the case that social justice has become an obstacle not only to the idea of functioning in the jobs market on a merit based system but getting to a point of having skills merit in the first place is is that your your experience or is it is that a perversion of the reality no it, it's right i mean what you what you see and the irony is that the critical race theory approach to dealing with racism in schools uh, and that's predominantly what we look at it but it could be racism it could be sexism it could be any 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 minority um, victim situation that it really finds fertile ground in elite schools whether they be private or, or public and here you have the irony is that it doesn't matter what the color of the kids are and there may be issues that have to be dealt with and corrected by a school but they promote this sort of um what's the word almost religious zeal in an environment where there is probably more equality than you will get in most middle class or working class school environments because parents will have had to largely pay large amounts of money for a high quality education so they are getting that standing start which no one would would wish that they don't and they will almost entirely because of the advantage they've been given by being able to pay for that they will achieve in society society and people may say well you know that's not fair because the uh, the working class or the poor cannot do the same that's correct but life isn't fair you can only strive to make it fair and and there's this sort of as i say this religious zeal this, this this sort of holy glow that surrounds these intentions to create social justice and they're incurring in environments where you know to be quite frank if you need a little social justice you 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 argue for it and otherwise you just be damn lucky glad you've got a, you're in a good educational environment no i must say that that that's so true and i think perhaps a, a practical takeaway that people can take away from this episode is that whenever you encounter the arguments in favor of social justice 
I think there are two very important questions you, that you can put to the proponents, the campaigners of social justice, is number one, do you care about me as an individual? Do you care about not some group or me as, you know, the member of some group? Do you care about me? If you don't care about me, then, then, I, then I can at least dismiss you as someone trying to do good for me. But if you say you care about me, the second follow-up question is, how are you equipping me to face a world that you think is hostile to me, that you say cannot change, that you are trying to make better, but you're not allowing me to actually stand on my own two feet in that world? So these two questions, do you care about the individual? Yes or no. Are you developing merit-based, skills-based, empowered young people to go out into the world, or are you just trying to extend playtime for a bit longer? Well, let, let, let's put it this way. Um, there would probably be no disagreement at all between ourselves and those more socialist-minded on putting in place programs privately or publicly that help people. That's, that's not an issue. I mean, the... The Institute of Race Relations has had one of the most successful tertiary bursary schemes for decades. I mean, decades. And there you, you clearly, in, giving, in awarding those, those uh, bursaries, you're looking at fundamental ability, and that's where the individualism comes in, or the potential, um, and straightened circumstances. But you're not looking at color. But the consequence is... By virtue of our so, our social our past and our social uh, present, the vast majority of, of bursary holders, but not entirely, but the vast majority will be black bursary holders. You're just helping in one of the stages. Given the the inadequacies of so many programs from the earlier stages, at the tertiary level, you're helping a good number of people reach that potential and and become as good as, and in some cases, better than the people you, you, you're looking to and aspiring to. And I mean, there's, there's a lovely irony in the fact that Nelson Mandela was one of our bursary holders for, for university. Um, but it, you give the bursary, the, the, the maintenance of that bursary over your period of your university depends not on the bursary at all or not on the process. It's you. In other words, you as the individual have to put in that very hard graft and to some extent, and, then, and have the aptitude that that is that benefits the, from the hard work. Without it, you're not going to qualify the bursary. But that doesn't mean that your chances in life disappear completely. What it means is that there are other avenues that would are more appropriate to pursue, and you've got to work at work at it until you find it. That applies to everyone of every race. Herman, you, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think that's a very good note to end on, is that a demand for social justice, I think, is fair when the demand is for someone to have the opportunity to add value. It is nonsense when it is a demand for the opportunity to demand a grant or a handout or some form of assistance. And I think that ultimately becomes something of an insult. So where, where, where justice really is about redress, about fixing 
things that you can point at that has gone wrong, that has denied people the ability to add value, social justice in this dogmatic quasi-religious fervor is not about adding value. It is about demanding that you get a bit of someone else's work. I think that's insulting. And I really think when when EDI Idonti hits the big time within the next few months, I'm sure it will because there's a lot of work to do. We can look at that development of South Africans going, hang on, I want a hand up, not a hand out. And that's the difference between justice and social justice. And perhaps on that note, Sara, as ever, thank you very, very much. We shall see you next week where we continue talking about the idea of social justice and justice. Because if we want to understand freedom, if you want to be equipped to fight for it, you must understand what strengthens freedom, justice. And you must understand what is a risk to freedom, this whole new witch-burning fervor of the social justice with their capital S's and capital J's. Everyone, thank you very much. See you next week. <laughs>